Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. I am very thankful for the report that I heard last evening about the camaraderie, the affection, the enthusiasm, the encouragement shared by all the members of the youth group with one another. I heard the details of the individual confidence courses where the rest of the team would cheer and encourage and exhort and comfort a person to pass through a fear barrier of their mind and body. I'm thankful for the unity. And I just want to, I want to press that point home and hope that you young people will look forward to gathering. We're going to miss the three Oles, but that's in the Lord's choice. That you'll come together tonight at five o'clock and love one another like you did yesterday. I want to encourage the ten couples, the nine plus one, that were in my house two weeks ago, and my exhortation to you that night for what a part of your life ought to be. I want you to remember that exhortation from a few words that I have for you. I had occasion yesterday morning, not knowing that I was going to be so affected in the evening, to write a lonely university student in Singapore who was asking all sorts of questions around the issue of friends. The closer I follow Jesus Christ, the more friends I have to cut off. The more I follow the truth, I have to condemn their activities. How did Jesus do it in this world? Please tell me, how did Jesus do it in this world? Who are my friends? What kind of friends help me? A young man. I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan. The head football coach from 1969 to 1989 of the University of Michigan's top-rated football program was Bo Schembechler. Bo Schembechler was born in the least of the 50 states named Ohio. He served his apprenticeship under the least of all coaches, Woody Hayes, the head football coach of the University of Ohio State University. And then he went to Miami of Ohio and then to the Michigan program. I remember as a boy, knowing that the Michigan weight room where they take 275-pound freaks of nature and turn them into strong men, said on the door as you were trying to leave, those who stay will be champions. As soon as I explain that in one sentence, you can forget that part of it. And I exhort every one of you, 
as a Christian, those who stay will be champions. Jesus said, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. We must grip our Christianity, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, daily and weekly inputs into our lives, exhorting one another to fear the Lord and to love Christ and heavenly things, and never give up and never look back and never be distracted or diverted. Those who stay will be champions. I liked that. There was another thing about Bo Schembechler. University of Michigan football is different from some other schools because it was always about the team. No football team will win without it being about the team, but it was a little more so about the team under Bo Schembechler. He popularized, I do not think he originated it, but he popularized this expression. And I give this to our young people and to all of us. There is no I in team. Team is spelled T-E-A-M. There is no I in team. It is precious in a way that men with the highest levels of testosterone, naturally and artificially, that play football on a good team when they huddle up They hold hands like second-grade girls. Every time they huddle up 45 or 50 times a game on offense or defense to hold the hand of another 280-pound freak of nature full of testosterone that is ready to go and rip someone's head off. I speak in football vernacular. They get in trouble when they do that. There's penalties. But that spirit is teamwork. Right. They do it for a corruptible rose. Michigan would do that for the Rose Bowl. We should be doing that for an incorruptible crown. And the Lord, Jesus Christ, by His personal teaching and the teaching of the epistles, emphasized our love of one another, our unity, our peace, our togetherness, our building and helping each other. We are only as strong as our weakest link. And if there's a weak person in a football team that may be facing a very strong opponent across the line from him, they will make adjustments to protect that man, to assist him and to help him against an overwhelming opponent. But to think of them holding hands, Hawks, men, because there's no I in team. To win a football game, it takes the efforts of all 11. For this church to be everything that it should be before the Lord Jesus Christ takes all of our efforts. And I love what I heard about yesterday. And I want to hear about more of it tonight at 5. Thank you, chaperones, and thank you, leaders. There is no I in team. I promised that I would preach this once a quarter. And I've approximately kept my commitment to you and the Lord. Do you remember, I am third. Yes, amen. 
Now, that's about the only other time I've used football as an illustration. Because Gail Sayers, the great running back for the Chicago Bears of the University of Kansas, wore a medallion that he saw laying on his track coach's desk, the athletic director's desk, at the University of Kansas. I am third. He said, what does that mean? And he liked it. And we should like it. Think, is there an email address still? In this church, I am third. I know that there are refrigerator magnets in this church. I am third. Put together by a church member. I am third. God and the Lord Jesus Christ are first. Others are second. And I'm last. There is no I in team. Do you remember why I wear pretty shoes? When I tossed my oldest daughter's fancy Cinderella princess wedding shoe into the congregation and you passed it around. Why wear pretty shoes? There's an answer in the Bible, and it comes from 1 Corinthians 12. Do you remember bodybuilding, which every joint supplies? Blood is thicker than blood. Am I my brother's keeper? I have tried to preach those things. And with a bunch of hotheads, like this church is full of, it takes that kind of preaching. My father has asked me sometimes about all the hotheads. And I said, and I believe this to be the truth, Dad, it takes someone willing to think outside the box in a lot of things to think outside the box religiously. Men who are always thinking in the box will never leave an established, traditional, orthodox type church. And so the Lord brings together a bunch of extreme personalities sometimes, and we've got our share. And so uh, I believe it's my it's a necess- necessary duty for me to preach like this once a quarter. There's no I in team. And you learned that yesterday, didn't you? There were some events that you had to forget yourself and totally coordinate your activities with the others in your team. And that was a good lesson for you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now I'm going to read a passage and I may stop here and there as I explain it to you. I want to start at verse 12. This is the local church at Corinth. And it had its problems. But let's take this to ourselves as a description from Paul, from God, about our church. Verse 12, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. And the apostle is going to go on in this passage and describe the Corinthian church, and he's describing our church. You have one body, but your body has many members. Ten fingers, ten toes, two legs, two feet, two arms, two hands, two ears, two nostrils, and one nose. You have all these different members. It's motivated by one spirit. That one spirit in you is the human spirit God gave you, and it directs all these activities so that we can do coordinated activities very well. Jonathan Carnell can play the piano while he holds a conversation with you. It's hard enough for me to hold a conversation. I would never attempt the piano except this. Maybe. I'd probably lose my train of thought. 
But you can do that because you have one spirit directing all your members. And this is the illustration that God wants us to have of a local church. Look at these members. There's 130 or 140, 125 sitting in here right now. And we have one spirit. It's the spirit of the Lord. And when we join this church after being properly baptized and believing on him, that spirit becomes the animating, directing spirit power behind our activities if we're walking in the spirit individually and as a church. And then the church can be an exciting organism. Not an organization. An an organization is dead. It's a thing. It's a man-made thing. But we're an organism that God adds the parts to, the members to, and the Spirit animates. Now, I'm not going to take that long with each verse. I don't have time to go through every verse. I've preached this before, but what it's going to describe is there is no I in team. There is no body part that can exclude other body parts in a body. We need them all. I do not like my little toes at this time in my life. At 53, they're more crooked than they were at 23. But I like my little toe because it keeps me standing upright when I don't have shoes on. And if I were to lose that little guy, I wouldn't be able to stand as well. Nor pick up my socks without bending over. I need them all. And the Bible wants you to think about it. Now I'm going to tell you something. I don't like my little toe. I get embarrassed when I'm alone looking at it. And so I wrap it in 100% wool socks and a leather shoe so that you can't see it. And you think I've got pretty decent looking feet. I want think about all this because that is exactly what Paul tries to communicate in the next 15 verses that I'm going to read to you by the Holy Spirit. It's what I preached, why wear pretty shoes? Because we've got ugly feet. So we put pretty shoes on them. Not all of us have the same gifts or offices or abilities as others. And those that have fewer gifts or offices or abilities... We bestow upon them the more abundant honor. See, my hands do not get 100% wool socks or mittens or gloves and leather. My feet do because my feet need it. My hands ain't that bad. Quit picking on them. And that's the truth. You know, the uglier parts of your body, you've covered up with even more clothing. 1 Corinthians 12. Can we all forget I and make the Lord and others more important? Can we remember there is no I in team? Verse 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, none of those distinctions make any difference in the local church and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Now look at the repetition, for the body is not one member. But many. There is no I. There is no one member. There is no most important member. There's many members. And it makes up one body. And it's the one body or the one team that we always want to be thinking about instead of I, the member. You, the member, are only part of the body. Just make sure you're doing your part and no more. And all you are is a part. We need you and we want you. 
But you're not more important than others. Verse 15, if the foot shall say, and this is what I was talking about, pretty feet, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If you have a low view of yourself in a local church like this, is that right thinking? That's the question. No, it is not right thinking. Just because you're the foot and not the hand, are you not of the body? We need both. Do you want hands without feet? Or do you want feet without hands? Where are your legs going to carry you and what are you going to do with no hands? You're going to go around and nub things with your shoulders or your elbows? We need everything. So your place is important. What that means is you have to participate. Everyone has to participate to make a church great. Every youth group has to have everyone participating to make it great. One spoiled, lazy, selfish apple can ruin a whole bushel. One lazy, selfish young person can mess up a youth gathering because you're moody, you're moping, you're sitting in a corner, you're not participating. And it can happen in the whole church. The whole church, every member of it ought to jump in and be enthusiastic in our worship of God and everything we do. It may not be. Let me change that. It will never be exactly as you would do it. But that doesn't matter. It's a team. It's a body. And so we let the leadership God's given us direct us, whether that's in a full assembly or in a youth gathering. And we say, this is the leader God's chosen for us tonight. I'm going to do everything that is laid before us with zeal. Someday you'll be that leader, and you'll want everyone doing that to you. If the ear, verse 16, and if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not the body. Is it therefore none of the body? Because an ear might not think itself as important as an eye. Who wants to go through life just being able to see and not hear? Thank you, Lord. You are all important. Because every body part is important. And what you contribute is important to the overall health of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, this ear is thinking the eye is more important than they are. Well, I'll just sit back. It's not important if I'm there. It's not important if we don't show up. Yes, it is important. You're lazy and selfish. We should all show up. Right. It doesn't matter if I participate. I'm not very coordinated. I love the testimonies that I heard about in the debriefing last night of those that wanted to start off some of the activities by saying, I just want everyone to know before we get started that I'm not very coordinated. But they were still participating. I was punching the air in the privacy of my home. My eyes don't hear very well, but I like them both. I don't care if you're not coordinated. The Lord doesn't care if you're not coordinated. Somebody else that's more coordinated will jump in beside you and help you out. There is no I in team. 
If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? We need all these different parts. But now God hath set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased Him. Now what body is He talking about? Yes, both. All these members are God's choice. He could have given us a nose with our nostrils facing upward and it would look like a smokestack. He, he made all these bodily members. But the real issue here in 1 Corinthians 12 is, where did you come from? As I used to ask my children over and over again, who invited you to the party? And they knew the answer was to be, God did. You know, you can ask your children, who made you? God did. Well, when you have a family and you're sitting around a table and you're enjoying everything, who invited you to the party? God did. Who invited you to this party? God did. Now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased Him. He didn't say that every member is going to please you. The members that don't please you in the body were put there for greater value for you than the members that please you. Because you need to put forth more effort for them which He's about to undertake. Every one of you... Every one of us, as weird as we all are, as mongrel as this church is, were put here by God because it pleased Him. Everyone in the youth group, even the uncoordinated ones, put there by God. If you need help, coordinated ones, come to me, and I'll tell you things about the uncoordinated ones that will shame you. Because, see, the ear has features, and the eye has features, and they're different, but we absolutely need and want them both. Verse 19, and if they were all one member, where were the body? If we were all like you, what kind of a body would it be? What if it was the perfect arm with 24-inch biceps and no body fat? What if it was the perfect arm, but it was just an arm? What would you do? Lay it in the trunk? Throw it in the trash? Put it in a plastic bag and have somebody carry it around? It needs the whole body. We're never one. You are just one part. You are I, but there is no I in team. Verse 20, but now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Don't you ever think that in your hearts. When you're at a youth gathering or when you're in this church, I don't care if you're young or old, never think we don't need that person. I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. I like that. You want a lesson on singular and plural pronouns? Go to that verse right there, but that is not my point. I am going on. That is a great text. I'm sorry. Hermeneutically. Verse 22, nay. You know, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, we cannot talk that way or think that way. Much more, those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. My little toe is a pretty feeble-looking little thing. It's underdeveloped. It's twisted. But it's needful. 
My mommy would not have been happy if I'd have been born with eight toes. They pulled each one apart and counted carefully and recounted in case the nurse had not passed math. Because it's all important. Those members of the body which seem to be more feeble, seem to be more feeble, seem to be more feeble to you, as you, the eye, look at the little toe and say, we don't have need of that. We have need of every body part. And if we'll all do our part, we can be one efficient, wonderful body. Amen. And those members of the body, verse 23, which we think to be less honorable, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. You have parts that are... We're glad you cover them. Because they're not comely. They're homely. Let's get it plain. They're ugly. So you cover them. Our comely parts have no need. Those that have more gifts, more abilities than others, they have no need of extra attention because they've got enough themselves. And so your faces are not covered. The eyes are the windows to your soul. The face. You say, well, I don't even have a good face. It's better than your little toe. It's better than some other things you have covered up. We don't cover these things up. We don't cover our hands up. We don't cover this up. We don't cover these up. God made them to be comely in their own right. And that is the same with the church. It's got parts like that. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. We should get down and help and care for one another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And the apostle says that in verse 27 to the church at Corinth. This is not some universal church. Because if we make it that, then most of our bodies in heaven. And we are down here two legs walking around. This is every local church. The Lord providentially has brought us together as much as He's brought you together with your spouse, as much as He gave you the children that you have. It's all by His sovereign providence and choice. And He's given us this body. And there is no I in team. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I want the young married couples in this church to reach down to the unmarried in the youth group. I want you once a month to arrange for some activity where you have an unmarried young person in the church in your home. And we talked about the details of that a couple of weeks ago. I wish that the older ones in the church would reach down to the young married couples. Let's all band together and unite together because we're one body and there's no I in team. Romans 12, 15, Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. We should sympathetically care for one another. When you have the flu, the stomach or sinuses or a combination takes your whole body down. But your legs don't go out and run a marathon because they're commiserating with the rest of your body. You, you put the whole thing in bed. And so when one member's weeping, we, we weep. When one member's rejoicing, we rejoice. Be of the same mind one toward another. Let's all love each other the way we want to be loved. Let's practice the golden rule. That's what I believe that sentence is saying. Be of the same mind one toward another. Affectionate 
and caring about one another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Don't try to choose your friends of the more comely parts in the church. Choose your friends of the less comely parts. That way we put on decent shoes. Because we make the less comely members more comely by the attention we give them. And the encouragement. And the lifting them up. And the comfort. And the praise. And the pat on the back. And the affection. And the warm embrace. And I'm so glad to see you. Be not wise in your own conceits. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Loners are losers. You don't have a right to be a loner. You can't be a loner. God doesn't want you to be a loner. He wants you to join in. You're going to end up being a loser in life by being a loner. Everyone should participate cheerfully, enthusiastically in anything. But I'm not very coordinated. I don't like playing volleyball because I look like a jerk. You won't be the only one out there. Invite me. It doesn't matter. Participate. You've got gifts that the others would not want to join in if you were doing something that you're good at. But if the group is playing volleyball, jump into it. If the church is having a night of singing and you don't think you sing very well, then sit in the back. But come and sing. Let's love one another. A full house singing is a wonderful noise. If your heart's in the right place. You know this passage well, but I've got to remind you of it once a quarter. And it's been a while. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, 2 are better than 1. That is God's Word. You can't overthrow it any more than you can overthrow gravity. Two are better than one. Every one of you that's married and you're happily married know that. And you should be happily married, and if you're not, it's your fault. Two are better than one. Because, and there are four reasons given why God wants us in societies like local churches, which we'll call an organism because it's called a body. There's four reasons. One's chemically related. Pay attention. They have a good reward for their labor. Number one, when you labor and you're able to share it with someone else, it makes it so much more exciting. When you get a promotion to a job or a bonus and you're able to come home, you know what would happen to you if you didn't have anyone to tell about it or share it with? You'd blow up. You'd be very discouraged. There's a reward for labor in order to be share, to share a job well done with someone else. There is someone that's been honored. First Corinthians 12 said honor. If one member be honored, all the members should rejoice with it. Two, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. Did you young people learn some of this yesterday? That uh, two are better than one? Were there some, some uh, team ventures that you couldn't do by yourself? It's right here. I was so provoked last night. And I was provoked in the morning by a lonely young man from Singapore. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. If you've got friends and close friends, when you fall, whether it's emotionally, physically, actually fall, or you're sick, or you fall professionally, you'll have others around to help lift you up. Again, verse 11, here's the third reason. If two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? Synergism. 
two parties separate from each other, though they're producing the same amount of body heat, will lose that body heat much more rapidly than if they were close together. If you're lying with a person, if you ever crash at the North Pole or the South Pole, remember that all of you should get bundled up together in the plane. Because then, as you give off body heat, another body absorbs that heat, and you lose it less quickly. It's a synergistic thing. And Solomon is just using this as an illustration. Because we have a different set of gifts... And yesterday, that different set of gifts came out that if one person would do one thing they could do and another person did the thing that they could do, the whole team could get over the wall. I think. Yes? Fourth. And if one prevail against him, if you have an enemy during your life sometime that's able to overcome you, two shall withstand him. If you've got a friend like Jonathan and you're David, or you're David and you have a friend like Jonathan, you can stand back to back and take on anyone. And then it goes on to say a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So we can fight bigger enemies when we all stick together. This is the Word of God. Two are better than one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Go to Proverbs chapter 30. And this is what the Lord does with me. And I want to share this with you. I have not looked at a lesson I gave you six years ago in a long time. This is how... I'm studying Romans 8, 29, through the week and yesterday morning. I answer an email from Singapore. I say I know exactly what this young man needs. He needs the lesson of the locust. And so I sent him the link. Thank you, Matthew. For the lesson of the locust. That was in the morning. I did not know what was going to happen at 5.30 when I got my debriefing on you young people yesterday. But I want to remind you of this text right here. Proverbs 30, verse 27. The locusts have no king. Yet go they forth all of them by bands. This is the desert locust. It's two inches long. It weighs three grams. It's three inches long, and it weighs two grams. Of course, it can eat its weight in food every day. It lives a very lonely life. A desert locust is a very solitary creature. It only ever comes in contact with another desert locust in order to quickly mate and then disappear again. It's the nature of the desert locust. You know, we, we have to ask ourselves, why did Solomon pick these four little things that teach us wisdom? In verse 25, the ants. In verse 26, the conies or mountain rabbits. In verse 28, the spider. And there is wisdom to be learned from each one of these, but Proverbs are dark sayings, so you're going to have to go home and read those Proverbs commentaries, which have been all preserved for you, thanks to the website. But verse 27, the locusts have no king. There is no one directing the affairs of the locust nation. They're all individuals. They're all independent. They don't care about anyone else. And they're called scientifically solitarious. That's what you're doing when you're playing solitaire. You're missing out on life. When there isn't enough food, the locusts get closer together because they have to go to the food sources. As they get closer and closer together at a food source because the food source is shrinking... Their legs rub against each other. And with their legs rubbing against each other, God changes them into a completely different locust. Beautiful in color. Totally different in temperament. 
You've got to see the pictures. It's drastic. They all of a sudden love the company of other locusts, and the scientific name for them now is, listen to this, gregarious. What do we mean by the word gregarious? A person that is jovial and loves to be around other people and friendly and loving. And so solitarious becomes gregarious. Now we've got all these gregarious locusts that are rubbing legs with each other, and they start multiplying because uh, they're not having chance encounters anymore. They are with each other close and personal. And all of a sudden we have 10 million, and then 100 million, and then a billion, and then 10 billion. And when they take off, without a king, they fly together in a swarm, and they can destroy nations. Go read Joel chapter 2. Go look it up on the internet. What is that verse there for in the Bible? I believe every word of God. I'll preach it all that I understand. I'll preach Romans 8.29 and I hope I will not mince words as you heard. I'll preach Proverbs 30.27. That's what you ought to do. There's wisdom. Without a king telling you what to do, you should become gregarious. Gregarious means you love human society where it's made up of God's people. When it's the church, when it's those younger than you, when it's those older than you, let's all love each other and care for each other. There is no I in team. There is an I in time, but there isn't an I in team. Young married, every layer of this church, you should be looking up and down to serve. You're never too young, you're never too old. Look down, look up. We have a visitor today who is for the most part in a different economic category than the rest of us and much older with a whole set of friend and associates in a different city. But he's here and he serves you and he serves children and he serves young people and he serves middle-aged people. And I hate being recorded, or I would say a whole lot more. A great example, a great example of there being no I in team. This visitor comes to serve, not to be served. He hardly gets served. He serves. And he rejoices in the fellowship, in the friendship. And the team. Look at Ephesians 4.16. And I have to close. Ephesians chapter 4 to keep my commitment to you and the Lord. Ephesians 4.16. In the morning, I sent off the lesson of the locust. In the evening, I heard about you young people. I went wild. Because the lesson of the locusts had been practiced. Some of you solitarious. I won't look anywhere. (laughs) Became gregarious. And you were all gregarious. And I just want to exhort all you young people to be gregarious and love one another. All you young married couples, get outside yourselves and your selfish little lives and invest a couple hours a week. There's 168 hours in a week. If you don't think you have time, come and see me. I'll lay it out on a piece of paper for you and show you how much you're wasting. It's always in double digits, usually a day. But 
certainly in a week. There's always time. It's priority. Where is your priority? The Bible tells us where our priority ought to be. The first commandment, the love of God. The second commandment, the love of others. Philippians chapter 2, we should care about the things of others and not the things of ourselves. Romans chapter 12, the things of others and not the things of ourselves. And Ephesians chapter 4 tells us how to have a great church. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, this is all of us. It's pleased God to put us all together. I didn't ask for you individually, and you certainly didn't ask for me individually. This is what God put together. And bless and praise His holy name, we trust His wisdom more than ours. From whom, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the last word in verse 15, from whom, from Jesus Christ, the whole body, that is our church, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. We are compacted or made a tight, fit, low body fat, intense, muscular, coordinated, efficient body by every joint being fitly joined together by us making ourselves fit in. Make yourself fit in. You say, well, I don't fit in. Make yourself fit in. Be happier. Participate. Jump in. When it's volleyball and you're uncoordinated, jump in anyway. Fall all over yourself. Someone else will pick you up. And somebody else is going to come up to you and say, you're more coordinated than I am. That'll make you feel good. Fitly joined together and compacted tightly by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working that is effectiveness in the measure of every part. When every part works and every part is working effectively to make the body better, better the body makes increase of itself under the edifying of itself in love. We grow as a church in a way that pleases God because we're loving each other and every joint, every part is jumping in, fitting itself together and compacting into a tight gymnast body, fit and able to do great things. We want that to be the case for our church. There's no place for loners or those who won't participate One such person can ruin a group. Get over it. Flush your fears. Like so many had to do yesterday. Remember the lesson of the locusts. Be gregarious. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven are the servants, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't neglect your duty. It's the second commandment to love others. May we all work hard to embrace the body and make the body better. I hope that you'll review some other things that have been preached. I hope to remember I am third, why I wear pretty shoes and things like that. But for today, there is no I in team. Right. I couldn't care less about Bo Schembechler. Those are where the words came from. And you know what? It's a pretty good example. When 11, highly competitive, incredibly competitive men that are freaks of nature, and are on excess testosterone, hold hands, and agree in a 10-second huddle of exactly what they're going to do together. And if every one, if every joint, if every part does its part, they will blow the opposing line off their positions. However, the opposing team should be doing the same thing with no eye in their team. Our enemy has already been defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our captain. He's calling the plays. And it's all right here in the Bible. And we get to do that as soon as I say amen by loving one another, 
the rest of this day, tomorrow, this week, if the Lord tarries, what will you do with someone else in this church? Young people, when you come together tonight, there's no I in team. Make your team the best. The best youth group. Every one of you jump in and participate. May the Lord be blessed by the preaching of His Word.